Jesus, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning. We bless your name. If you would go ahead and stand with me and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. I'm thankful for the grace of God. Amen. Where would we be? Where would we be without his grace, his mercy? We're all recipients of his grace. I want to welcome you this morning to Evangel. Also, I want us to welcome a group from one of our local universities. We got about 60 to 70 students from one of our local universities this morning in service with us. We're excited to have you guys here. I went to JU, so go Dolphins. I'm not going to say anything about the Ospreys over there, but uh, go Dolphins. <laughs> They're here this morning from a communications class listening to a persuasive speech. I said, that's good as long as I get to grade the papers, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Let me say that one more time. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word gives us life. God, even when it's not comfortable, Father, we thank you that it's your will that we have life and life abundantly. So, Father, we just ask that you would bless this time together as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So good to see you today. Today we are finishing up a series on afterlife, that there is something on the other side. In week one, we talked about eternity and how God has created us to be eternal Beings. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, He has set eternity in their heart, meaning that He has literally wired a desire, a longing for eternity into our lives. Most everyone in this room, you want to live forever, right? That's why you go to the doctor, so that you can not die, right? We talked through health insurance being, uh, uh, not, not, not being uh, uh, sick insurance or life insurance, not being death insurance. Why? Because we want a more palatable situation and we want to live. We have a desire to live, but at some point, at some point we will enter eternity and we do everything we can to avoid death, but there will come a day where we will face death face to face. And God has given us the gift of eternity. Jesus said he came to give us life, to give it abundantly. To inherit this gift of eternity, though, we have to pass through death's door. And when we pass through death's door, we better be prepared. If we're going on vacation, I mentioned, I said that we, we take the essentials, right? We make sure we got our, our bags packed. And when we journey into eternity, we better make sure we have our bags packed as well. That was week one. Week two, Pastor gave us 12 different qualities as we looked into heaven and 12 different qualities of those who go to heaven. Revelation talks about heaven being prepared as a bride, is adorned for her husband, that God has an incredible gift called heaven made available to every person. And those that ascend that hill in Psalms chapter 15, it says, are blameless, truthful, those who don't speak evil, those who live righteously. Basically, those, we, we have to live ready for heaven. When we die, we don't have any choice at that point to make different decisions about what we've done in our life, we have to live ready. 
And then this week it culminates in as we talk about hell. I get it that this is not an easy message to listen to. Hell is a sobering message. And as sobering as hell is to listen to, it's infinitely more sobering to preach. When you spend a couple of weeks digging into the bliss of heaven, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But when you spend a couple of weeks digging into the reality of hell, it's heavy. It's heavy for a pastor, it's heavy for a preacher, it's a heavy message. But sometimes in life, for our good, we need things that aren't pleasant. Amen? As a parent, when I have to give my children medicine, they don't like the bitter taste. And if you've, how many of you have ever given medicine to a one-year-old? Right, it's like trying to wrestle a pterodactyl. You don't know if you're gonna get bit and scratched or something at that point, but it is so difficult to give them medicine. But regardless of how rough it is, you do it because you know it is for their good, amen? 95% of the people in this room today, the other 5% probably just live in denial, but you know that diet and exercise are healthy, but there is a huge disparity between knowledge and action. How often do we choose the brownies over broccoli, the cookies over kale, and Netflix over the gym? Like, I love to work out, but I will also run an extra mile for a slice of cake, amen? It's hard to choose the salad when you got Publix fried chicken right in front of your, your face. But if I'm going to live a healthy lifestyle, I need a balanced diet, I need to exercise. And if I'm going to lead a healthy spiritual life, I need a balanced diet of God's word. I need an understanding of the full counsel of God's word. I can't just have things that are pleasant, the blessing side of things. I need things that are sobering as well. And this is exactly what the message of hell is for. And oh, that God would make the bliss of heaven and the horror of hell so real to our lives that it would bring radical transformation in how we live, how we walk, how we interact with one another, the decisions that we make for our family. Oh, that he would make these things so real to us that it would bring complete transformation. Matthew 25, verse 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, this is Jesus talking. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God's original intent of hell never included mankind in the picture. Hell was never meant for mankind. I want you to know that as we journey into this message, we were not meant for, we were not wired for, we were not built for. Matthew 25, it says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. The original intent was for those that would rebel against God. And when Satan in heaven rebelled against God with his angels or with the demons, he was struck down like lightning and a place called hell was Form. But then, at the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve entered onto the scene of the world, the enemy comes in and brings deception into the world, and mankind, they begin to rebel against the created order of God. And we live in a constant world of rebellion. I think we can all say, if we look at 
2021, if we look at 2020, something has gone wrong, right? Something has happened. If we will flip on the news, if we will go through a feed in social media, we can see that there is brokenness all around our world. And sometimes we wonder why. It's the result of sin. Isaiah chapter five, verse 14, it says, therefore hell has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. If hell was enlarged and opened its mouth beyond measure, it went from its original intent to a greater capacity. You know what that tells me? That we were not meant for hell. We were not wired for hell. We were wired to have a relationship with God Almighty. But because of mankind's rebellion, hell has literally had to enlarge itself. In this chapter, Isaiah chapter five, God is writing to his people. He says that I have prepared you, I have called you into a place that he had prepared for them, a place of incredible beauty and in place of incredible blessing, but because of their rebellion, hell had enlarged itself and they would suffer. It's tragic that people will suffer in a place that they were never created for. People will suffer in this life and in the life to come in places they were never wired for. When pastor preached on Wednesday night about sins that so easily beset us, sin has its consequence in this life and in the life to come. And sin will cause us to suffer in this life. Yes, it's pleasurable for a season, but that pleasure runs out when it begins to impact our lives and impact those closest to us. And so we will suffer now and in the life to come should we not give our lives and surrender our lives to the Lord? People will suffer because so many rebel against God choosing creation over the creator and hell is expanding beyond measure. Know this as we talk through this message today, you were not created for hell and God does not send a person to hell. God is good and God is gracious and allows us to experience eternity, but he gives us a free will to either accept or to reject his love and his grace that we just sang about that was offered through Jesus Christ. Just as a judge or a jury never condemns a person, they only convict a person. So God will ultimately judge mankind, not condemn mankind. The judge and the jury are not responsible for condemning a person. A person's own actions condemn themselves. I'm gonna say that again. A person's own actions condemn themselves, so it is with God. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Scripture says, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the things of the flesh. You get the picture today that God is not willing that any should perish, yet if we embrace, if we embrace his love, he will rescue us. Yet if we reject it, then there is a hell that is waiting. And here's what I'm confronted with today, that every person in this room will one day die, right? Every person in this room, we will one day die. And they will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And heaven and hell are those engines that drive us as the church. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. 
This message is meant to stir you, not through emotionalism, but through reality, which is why Jesus would say, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And even though many will not choose hell per se, many will consistently choose this earth over heaven and in so doing choose eternal separation from God which is why we echo the words of Jesus, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is hell real? Many in our culture, potentially some here today, doubt the existence of a place called hell, thinking how could a loving God send people to hell? While our desire for heaven is good, heaven is ultimately the reward of our response to God's love and affection. So what do many seek to do with the message of hell? They seek to reject it or wish it away. And in a culture where most of the time we instantaneously get what we wish or we want, we often carry the same mentality into the unpleasant parts of life. Not, why not just wish away the unpleasant things so we don't have to deal with it? Why not just wish away heaven? Why not just wish away hell? Why not just wish away the, the, the reality that I will die one day? And they do that for a season for a season, by filling their lives with distractions. See, a person can choose to live in denial their entire life, but it does not change the reality. No matter how much we may want, may, and no matter how much we may desire hell not to exist, our do not, desires do not change the reality that is set before us. Do you know that Jesus, he taught more on hell than he did on heaven? But not only that, it is through the teachings of Jesus that we get the clearest pictures and descriptions of hell in the entire Bible. So many people think of Jesus as being a great and compassionate teacher in that he was because Jesus taught us how to love. Jesus taught us how to forgive. Jesus taught us how to be gracious. Jesus taught us how to be merciful. He taught us how to be generous, and he taught us so many good things. But the teachings of Jesus, they demand a decision. They demand a response from our lives because his teachings were radical. I love how C.S. Lewis, a professor at Oxford, he, said, he describes Jesus, that Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a teacher or a leader. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. And if he is Lord, we should fall down at his feet and worship. See, Jesus' teachings, they're not a la carte that we get to choose one and walk away from the other ones that we don't want. We cannot accept part of Jesus and discard the rest. We get every single part in his heart was that not any would perish. Amen. What is hell? The Bible describes hell in comparison to a valley that was located right outside of Jerusalem. And it's, this valley is still there today, and if you would pull up the pictures, this is from a, a couple of years ago. Nope, not those pictures, the other pictures of Jerusalem. There we go. Um, on the right-hand side of the screen, we are standing in what is considered to be Mount Zion or the, the city of David on the right-hand side. That's literally where King David in the Bible, the old city, his palace, and all of that set. Then on the left, there's another hill, and in between that is a valley that is running right here in the middle. And that valley is called the Valley of Hinnom, 
or the Valley of Gehenna. And today it's, it's decent. It's not the most beautiful valley, right? It's not the most beautiful valley in all of the world. But historically, and in the Bible, it was anything but beautiful. It was completely atrocious. In Old Testament times, idols were built in this valley and sacrifices performed to false gods. And the first of the Ten Commandments was what? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Something that you all learned really early on. And so this was strictly prohibited. This brought great judgment. All of the idol worship, it brought great judgment upon Israel. But not only did idol worship occur in this valley, wicked kings Ahaz and Manasseh, they would literally burn their children and fire and sacrifices to the God of Molech in this valley, causing this to become a place of great abomination. This valley throughout the generations would become a cursed valley, a place of the shedding of innocent blood, and under King Josiah, it would become a burial grounds and a trash heap, and in Jeremiah's time, it would become a valley of slaughter. And then in Jesus' time, when Jesus begins to paint the picture of hell, it was a massive, pungent landfill of a garbage heap of what hell was like that was constantly burning with fire, vultures, flies, maggots. You can imagine what it would be like in stench and sewage and waste without the modern technology that we have today, what an ancient landfill would be like. This is the valley. This is the imagery that Jesus used to paint a picture of what hell would be like. And if you've ever cleaned out your trash cans, it's gross, right? Nobody enjoys, even as a kid, when you got your chores and nobody ever wants to be on trash duty. I, I, we all hated it growing up to this day because it stinks. And if you've ever walked in your neighborhood or run in your neighborhood on trash day, it isn't pleasant. I love to run. And one of the things I make intentional action not to do is to run on trash day because the trash truck's coming through at the same times. It's just, it stinks, right? The trash can's everywhere, and the neighbor that had fished the three days ago, it's just horrible. And so we, we make it a point to avoid those things, and garbage dumps are horrific. Here's a, here's a couple of pictures of modern-day landfills in our world. This first is a picture of a landfill in Southeast Asia where a family has their home. Do you know that over 15 million people today in our world this is from BBC, I believe. Live in landfills around our world. 15 million people live in garbage dumps around our world. If you go to the next slide, you can see the trash and how they will literally scavenge the area to collect waste and to collect the living. And in some of the areas, yes, they do have great technology, but in other areas, they still do burn the waste today. And you see kids and children and families living in this environment. We've taken medical teams to minister to some of these communities in Central America, and it is heart-wrenching. It is absolutely heart-wrenching because no one would ever wish this upon anybody. To see children naked and unclothed, trapped in filth, sewage, rubbish, is absolutely unfathomable. But guess what? Hell is infinitely worse than anything that we can ever imagine. And what does Isaiah say? Hell is enlarging itself and has increased its appetite 
beyond measure. Here's how the Bible paints the picture of hell, mostly in the words of Jesus. An eternal furnace of fire, eternal punishment and sin, outer darkness, place of weeping and torment, the wrath of God, everlasting separation from the Lord, never to see the glory of his power, the bottomless pit, the lake of fire, the second death, a place for the devil and his demons where the wicked ones burn with unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus' goal was to paint a picture so repulsive so repulsive that it would cause mankind to steer clear of this eternal punishment. See, when scripture is understood properly, there is no hint of the end or the termination of the terrible torment of unbelievers in hell. Their doom is unending, their solemn finality about their miserable condition and and the most conclusive and descriptive parts of this comes from the very mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, hell is no respecter of persons. It doesn't care if you're Republican or Democrat, doesn't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Middle Eastern, socialist, capitalist, male, female, rich, poor. It doesn't care about class, creed, or identity. Hell is not prejudiced. And the worst part of hell, it is a place of eternal separation from God. If the chief end of mankind is to know and to worship God, then the most miserable and destructive end would be that of eternal separation and a place of eternal torment for the soul. Who's going? The gospel is both inclusive and exclusive. Inclusive in that it is for everyone, which is what I've said several times, that God is not willing that any should perish, but it's exclusive in the sense that there is only one path. Everyone has access to this path. Nobody is turned away based upon path or identities or any of that. Everyone has access to the path, but there is only one path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You know what that tells me? There are infinite number of roads to eternal separation and to eternal hell, but there is only one road that leads to life. There is only one road that leads to heaven. There is only one road that leads to God the Father. And anyone who does not have faith in Jesus will suffer that eternal separation. Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. If we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will transform our lives. Our lives will be fruitful. And Jesus said, you will know people by their fruit. And every person who does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This past week, my wife and I, we have three children. And um, I was helping get lunch prep for our oldest who um, is in kindergarten. And every day in his lunch box, he has to have a fruit or a veggie, good mom, right? And so we had some uh, blackberries in the fridge uh, that they were that we were planning on sending with him. And one of the things about berries is they deteriorate rapidly, right? So we had had them for a couple days. And so as I was getting his little snack size uh, bag filled with fruit, I had to go through the blackberries and separate out the good from 
the bad, right? There was a sorting and there was a separation of the good and the bad. Quite honestly, we do this sort of thing pretty frequently in our lives, whether it's with food, whether it's when we're cleaning out the house, whether when we're cleaning out the sock drawer, right? We do this separation of good and bad quite frequently. What did I say at the very beginning of the message? That God has wired eternity, He's wired eternity into our hearts so that, yes, we want to live forever, so we go to the doctor all the time. We want the good and not the bad, so we separate and we sort out the good from the bad. It's all of these practical things that he's infused into our life, and heaven does the exact same thing. There will be a time where we will be judged, every man, according to their works. Jesus, he lays this out clearly. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, and if you would open up your Bibles to this portion, I'm gonna read, a, it'll be on the screen behind me as well, but I'm gonna read a, a, a large portion of scripture here. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. What kind of seed did he sow? Good seed. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed into the field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, trying to fix the problem. How many of you know people are always trying to fix the problem, right? Sometimes Jesus can only fix it. He said, do you want, the, the servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? And Jesus said, no. Less than gathering the weeds, you, read up, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. A time of separation. Scroll on down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Watch this, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest time in this passage is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age that the son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. These are the words of Jesus. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the son and the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. The worship team would come back to the stage. Here's what we know. At the end of time, there will be a great sorting. As we sort things out, 
So God is going to sort and to separate. And those that have faith in the name of Jesus, those that have faith in the name of the Most High, God will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Whereas those who have embraced sin and rejected the Father's love will perish in the second death. And what Jesus says is a place of weeping, of torture, of gnashing of teeth, and eternal fire. Church, there is no palatable way to put this. The workers said, should we go and separate the good from the bad now? And Jesus said, no. It wasn't until the stalks of wheat began to put on the grain that there was a distinction between the weeds and the wheat. Isn't it interesting that God allows the wheat and the weed to grow together simultaneously? Isn't it interesting that he said, no, don't separate it out prematurely? See, this could be interpreted a number of ways. I, I believe one point would be that it's good for our maturity. It's good for our maturation for us to be able to grow in the things of God, the darkness and the light that is in the midst of the world. But to me, the most obvious is God is giving the element of Time, Unlike wheat and unlike weed can change their form. Every person in this world can be changed and transformed by the grace and the mercy of God. So God, God is not willing that any would perish. So he allows the plants to mature together so that his kingdom would come. So that believers could be salt, could be light, could shine their light to declare the good news of Jesus and to see salvation brought for all mankind. To see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But eventually those that do not will be separated. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, a few more verses down, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea, gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good fish into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the story of the catch of fish, a big net is thrown into the sea and it gathers all kinds of fish. And when you're fishing, if you like to fish, you don't determine what's gonna grab the bait, right? You don't know what you're gonna catch. Whether it's a keeper or not, there's some that you throw into the ice box, there's some that you throw right back out into the water. The fish also, they don't know when they are going to be caught. And just as the fish are separated, so too will mankind be separated. We don't know the day or the hour when we will breathe our last breath. We don't know the day or the hour when the net that Jesus has mentioned dips down into the ocean of our lives and calls us Home In my 12 years of ministry here at Evangel, I've preached funerals for people over 100 years of age. One that was, I think, 106 or 107 years of age. People in their 80s and their 70s and 60s, 50s and 40s, 30s and 20s. Preach funerals for teens, for children, down to three months old. Nothing guarantees us tomorrow. Nothing. That's reality. We don't know when the net of heaven 
will dip into our lives and call us out of this world. And at that point, we will stand in front of the creator of the universe and receive the reward of our lives. We have a choice to make. We cannot say we did not know. We cannot give excuses. And at that point, we won't be able to change anything. If you would stand with me. This morning I read in my devotions about the parable of the ten virgins where there was ten waiting for the wedding and five ran out of oil in the waiting. The pastor said many times it's a representation of the church that even many in the household of faith will run out. And when it comes our time, we better be ready. What should we do? Matthew 4 verse 17 marks the heart of the message of Jesus. It says from that time, so as soon as he came out of the desert, out of the wilderness, so from the beginning of his ministry, from the very beginning of his ministry, from that time, he preached saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached it at the beginning. He preached it throughout the duration of his ministry, a message of repentance. We were not built for hell. So Jesus' desire is to come, to reconcile, to make right, to rescue us from the things of this world and from eternal death. Two of the most powerful words are turn around. In the movie Blindside, it came out 2008, 2009 with Sandra Bullock. It's a true story of how a family took an impoverished teen into their home who later became an NFL champion. The moment that changed everything was when Sandra Bullock and her husband, they were driving down the road and they see Michael walking on the side of the road in nothing but a t-shirt and shorts and it's freezing cold outside and it moves her heart. It moves her heart so much to the point that she looks at her husband and says, turn around, turn around. And those two words, it changed everything. It changed Michael's story, it changed their story, it changed everybody involved in that situation. Though their, their stories, two simple words can change anyone's life when we turn around, when we change the course, when we change the direction of our lives. Maybe it's time to deal with a disbelief about God and heaven and hell. Or maybe you're a believer that's been struggling with sin. That's been so easily besetting your life and struggling with those things. And we have to turn around because there's an incredible journey, incredible life that is awaiting us when we turn to Christ Jesus. Salvation is nearer than ever before and God is not desiring the damnation or the destruction or the separation of mankind. He paid the ultimate price, dying on a cross for our salvation, resurrecting to give us life for eternity. He said, as I said at the beginning, God is not willing that, or not, not that one, but Jesus came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. 
He said, what does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world yet lose his own soul, all of the riches, all of the success, all of the acclaims of this world? They have nothing if we are separated from eternity. If we gain everything but lose ourselves in the process, we've lost it all. We've lost it all. God is not willing that any of us should perish. So what do we do? surrender our life to Jesus today. If you would close your eyes this morning, bow your heads. I told you it's a sobering message. But it's a message that we need to hear as the church. That there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It's a message our world needs to hear that we do have to deal with fate. We cannot take it lightly. Because once we die, it's too late at that point. If you're here today, you're here this morning, and there's things that need to be made right in your life. Jesus is wooing. He's calling you today to come, to surrender, to give your life to Him. He has life for you, life forevermore. If there's things that are separating you, maybe you've fallen away, maybe you've been spending time seeking things out that are not things of God and you need to surrender your life to the Lord today or maybe just simply just give some things up to God, right? If that's you today, I want you to slip your hand up this morning. I want you to slip your hand up this morning and just a sign of surrender to God, amen, amen. Uh, anybody else this morning that you would say, I need just to make some things right with the Lord. If our prayer team, if you would come to the front and if you slipped up a hand this morning, I want you to get out of your seat. The altar is not a place of condemnation. This is a place of transformation, amen? And we need to see our lives changed and transformed. So if you slipped up a hand, I wanna encourage you to come out this morning. We wanna pray with you. My heart is not to leave you where you are, but to see change brought into your life. And so if you need that change, that transformation, you slipped up your hand today, just come down to the front. We wanna agree in prayer. The worship team is going to lead us in a song while we pray. But God is here. He's waiting and He is willing. He's willing. Jesus, Jesus.